Welcome to the Binge Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha, and joining me as always, fresh from his hiatus, is Romeo Mora. Romeo, welcome back. I know, it's been a long time. I'm excited yeah, to be it has back been a and long talking time. about something. In our final thoughts, we'll get into more details about what the plans are for the show for the rest of the year, so you always want to make sure you stay tuned for that. But until then, we're here to talk about Batman the Animated Series. Batman the Animated Series is an American superhero animated television series adapted by Bruce Timm and Eric Radomski from the DC comic superhero Batman. The series originally aired on Fox Kids from 1992 to 1995 with a total of 85 episodes. For the final 20 episodes, the series was rebranded with on-screen title The Adventures of Batman and Robin, which was also used for reruns of earlier episodes. The series became the first in the continuity of the shared DC animated universe. The series is praised for its thematic complexity, film noir aesthetics, darker tone, artistic presentation and modernization of its title characters crime fighting origins all right so like i mentioned before it's just me and romeo this episode is premiering on the same day as the release of the new the batman film so we thought what better time to do this show than now where it feels like there's a lot of similarities where the movie is really trying to preach that is trying to get back batman's detective roots when people think of batman the detective sure they're also thinking of the comic books but they're also thinking of about Batman the Animated Series. Romeo, do you recall trying to remember or what inspired you to start watching the series? It's kind of like the chicken or the egg situation because Batman Returns and this series in my mind, which they both came out in 1992. So I can't remember which came first. I want to say I saw the movie first and then I saw this just happen when I came home from school because major networks used to have a block of animation. I want to say from like two or three o'clock up until four. So prime time for a lot of us kids. For younger audiences, if you're wondering where, like, when we watch shows like Digimon or Pokemon, Power Batman Rangers. the Animated Series, Power Rangers, that was after school. That wasn't right. for Saturday morning. Uh, sometimes it was, but most of the time, no, that was right after school. These shows got syndicated and aired on those channels. So There was two. There was Fox Kids was on the Fox Network, and then later on, it would be the W UB. This is how we watched it. We watched it. I mean, there were like new episodes every single day. Oh, yeah. The what they consider season one of this series was 65 episodes. The mm-hmm. way it gets categorized on HBO Max and even in the production order when you look at it, which, of course, didn't all air in one year. They split them up and broke them up and it lasted a good couple of years. Back then, the way they did animated TV shows, you will never see it done today. I don't remember when I first started watching the series i'm pretty sure i watched it before i watched batman returns because i honestly don't really have many memories of watching batman returns when i was a kid when it came to the show i remember just coming across at some point in the mid 90s i can't even claim if i watched it on fox i could have watched the whole thing while on wb i have memories too of it also being on wb but that might have been during a syndicated run because i think superman was on the wb if i remember correctly yeah they were both on the wb they most of the time they had them back to back and they had their own little title card called the adventures of batman and superman so that was the thing that they did i think that's where it was it was more commonly i was watching these shows back to back back like it was the perfect hour thing 
thing. Yeah, exactly. Which they, so in which they had crossover episodes too, where they would appear on each other's shows. When it really comes down to it, this is the Batman I was most familiar with growing up. This was the Batman that I enjoyed the most. I really didn't like Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. Even as a kid, I just thought they were just totally goofy and just not for me. I, yeah, I just remember watching it in syndication. I think that's really where the main uh-huh. gist of it was. So I, I guess you could say I, I think I was late to the party on this one. I, I really think I was. I just remember watching it and thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. I mean, the Joker is cool. The animation style is cool. Everything about it just kind of clicked. And yeah. as a kid, you don't really know why it's clicking in a lot of ways. It's until you, as an adult, you're able to like look back retrospectively because you understand art a little more, animation and and, and some of the crimes. The well, yeah. White collar. You're like like. <laughs> The, like the laughing fish we were like what the hell did i knew as a child about patents <laughs> right <laughs> and, and security frauds what is going on this is such a good one so romeo this next question we always ask and every time we ask it there's always a clear cut episode for this but with batman the animated series it's a little trickier so when we ask ourselves what was it about the pilot that got us hooked what's the episode that even comes to mind to you or was it the cat in the claw what was the other one that's considered the first episode wings i believe yes thank you on leather wings yes with man bat you know i i remember both of those episodes vividly i think in the production wise that was the first episode but i think smartly when they decided Decided to air the episodes, they went with a familiar character, which of course was Catwoman, because the popularity of the film. You are and correct re- about that. And I remember both of those episodes as being one of my first. So there's like this weird Mandela effect where I'm like, aren't they both the same episode? And they made such a weird decision because on September 5th, 1992, just like you said, the Cat in the Claw Part 1 premiered. The following day, they didn't give you the Cat in the Claw Part 2. They gave you On Leather Wings. And the Cat in the Claw Part 2 didn't premiere until September 12th, when already several episodes have aired since. So you had to wait for Part 2 for a whole week while also watching a few episodes in between. It was a very strange decision. So you are right in the sense that start things off with the more popular character. But if you're going to do that, give us that part two, baby. <laughs> the production wise and how the air was kind of weird. If you're worried about it, just a side note, there really isn't a strong continuity. So you can basically watch any of the episodes in any order you want. So I'll talk about the cat in the claw part one. For me, it was kind of like, oh, I know what they're talking about because I know who Selena Kyle, which by the way, Selena Kyle in the comic book Books, does not look anything like Selena Kyle in the cartoon. They obviously took heavy influence on Michelle Pfeiffer for this interpretation mm. of Selena Kyle because Selena Kyle in the comic books is an Italian. Sorry, it's important to me. We have very little representation on television. I completely understand your point because people forget that Italians were very heavily discriminated upon when they first came to the United States and it carried on for many decades. All, so all I, had, I totally understand. All we had were <laughs> were Jersey himbos and mobsters. That's our only representation. Looking back as an adult, how smart it was because you had this tension between Batman and Catwoman, which was similar, where they liked each other as Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle, but then also as Batman and Catwoman. Unfortunately, Red Claw wasn't a strong villain. Yeah, the art style was unique, where it is kind of timeless. 
Alice. It is sort of harkens back to like the 1930s Art Deco, mm. but it was still modern enough where you wouldn't be bored as a kid. It looked cool. You wanted to be part of that world. I don't know about you, but as a kid, I wanted to be Robin, to be like hanging out with Batman in that Batcave. I don't know about that for me, but I was fascinated with the world because it was exactly like you described. It's very Art Deco. It's very 1940s film noir, the way they use shadows and just how, yeah, there's there's things where it's like, maybe it's a strange comparison, but it, it almost reminds me of Cuba in a little bit where they have like these old cars, right. but they also have modern technology at the same time. I think the police airships are really cool, even though those don't even exist, but they still look really cool and they look like they fit perfectly. It's like the Hamburg never happened in Gotham. Yeah. <laughs> <this> timeline. <laughs> so it's funny because you say the cat in the claw is your pilot, but you know, for me, it's weird. My pilot is on leather wings. I just Was feel it? like this is the first one I go to. This is the first episode because this was the first one in production. It's just a very simple, mysterious bat-like creature terrorizing Gotham City and Batman pursues it. And it's just a nice cut and dry story that just kind of introduced you into this role that I really appreciate. Like, which is weird because as an adult, I knew like in the early days of the career of Batman, he wasn't friendly with the police force or Commissioner Gordon. It was kind of like interesting to see that no one trusts his Batman. Especially from a kid's point of view, Batman's the hero. And I love the sophistication of these relationships that we don't see Harvey Bullock and we don't see Commissioner Gordon a lot, but the smart dynamics. And you see it through the course of the series where it develops into a partnership. Yeah, Harvey Bullock may not love Batman, but he sort of has some kind of respect for him. This is the first show I felt smart. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that was catered to us as kids, they would kind of talk down to us that we were too stupid, that we had to be force fed this information. This is the first show where I kind of felt like, oh, they treated me as their equal. They trust me enough to get that certain thing. And you see that with those two episodes where we're not being spoon fed yeah. the information. Yeah, no, I... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I totally agree with you because in comparison to some another show that solves mysteries like Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo, mm -hmm. you can figure out who the hell is wearing the damn mask like right. in the first 10 minutes. Like It's so easy. And like you just said, it, they make it easy almost for kids to figure that stuff out. And I get it. Like tonally, there are two different shows, but the idea is the same or like there's a mystery and the main character needs to solve it. This show. Yeah, it's like you're going along with Batman and trying to figure this out. And a lot of the times you're not ahead of Batman you know you're you're right there with them and I uh -huh. And I enjoyed that it wasn't talking down to us, like you said. Yeah, it's, it's a really good uh, description of that. So as an adult, I kind of know where I fall on this, where I can appreciate this series, where I know I'm in it for the long haul. Romeo, do you happen to remember when you were in it for the long haul as a kid or? Going back to the realism of it and the way they trust us. For one, I was shocked that they were allowed to have actual bullets. Because if you look at other cartoons at that time, they had to have like weird laser guns or something that didn't seem realistic in the violence. As a kid, it didn't feel like a show I had to get through in order to see what was next afterwards. I wanted to know more about this world. And in a way, each episode gave you a character or a 
plot that just hooked you immediately. So you always want to know what the next adventure was. I think what helps me in terms mm -hmm. of like how to help it with the long haul is that you find that episode that helps you sympathize with the villain, like Heart of Ice, where it gives you the backstory of Mr. Freeze and you realize how he lost his loved one, his wife, or like Two-Face. He has a mental illness. He's not someone who's just like a bad guy. He has a mental illness right. and it doesn't get resolved. It, it takes over him after a horrible accident. And then when you see his girlfriend who goes to see him at the hospital and then she sees him and, and there's that scream, right? And you just feel really bad for her because she lost the man she once knew. You feel bad for him because he lost the woman that he loves. I mean, after that, they're all a bunch of jerk criminals. But in those origin episode moments, you really feel for them. And that's not something we ever got from animated shows before, at least not that I can remember. Mm -hmm. That's when I see it as that's when I'm in it for the long haul. If you're going in and if you're trying to watch it by the production order don't because I feel like the earlier episodes they were playing with things like there's the underdwellers and the forgotten were just like what were they thinking <laughs> <laughs> what were they thinking? And the less I say about the episodes, the better. But yeah, it was just some weird stuff. But then you have a great episode too, which is POV, where we have three officers all talk about how this operation, I forgot which criminal they were after. I want to say it was like Rupert Thorne, I think, got botched. And they're all telling their version of the stories that Bullock says the other two were late, mentors says no they weren't time bullock went ahead and whites couldn't was just scared of batman <laughs> like he's afraid of everything and everyone in that whole operation and we barely saw batman and i'm thinking this is such a risk but also genius too because usually when you think of superhero shows we always see everything from the point of view of the hero rarely do we see how law enforcement feel about these vigilantes i remember thinking as a kid I'm like, why would they hate Batman? And they sort of walk you through that. They're the ones who have to deal with the aftermath. They're the ones who have to deal with chain of evidence. Of course, as a kid, you don't know any of that stuff, which I appreciate as an adult. And something about this series that does really well is they talk about in a subtle way, Batman's vigilantism. Is it good for Gotham? Is he doing more good than he is? And we have a whole episode about it where Batman himself thinks about this whole idea like, am I doing any good? Am I making my parents proud? Am I really saving Gotham? And I thought, well, damn. Now moving on to some of the main characters here. I mean, obviously Batman is the most main of all the characters. And the impression he left on me is, like I mentioned earlier, is like this was the Batman that I was used to, both right. in the look and the voice, uh, Kevin uh -huh. Conroy. The funny thing about Kevin Conroy is he had no voice acting experience before this show. He'd done some voice for commercials, so he had a voice agent. And his voice agent contacted him and said, hey, they're doing auditions for Batman, this new animated show. And it was just like, oh, OK, yeah, I'll give it a shot. The way it was described, he showed up, he came in, he asked some intelligent questions and then he did the voice. And right away, Bruce, Tim and Gene McCrary were like, oh, my God, this is the guy. Months of auditions. And here comes Kevin Conroy, a Broadway actor, studied at Juilliard, for crying out loud, mm -hmm. <laughs> strolls in with no voice acting experience and does the perfect voice for Batman. Let me just say he still voices his character. So every time there's like a new Batman audio thing, they bring 
bring him in. Same with Mark Hamill, who voices the Joker, which <laughs> he wasn't supposed to have the part. It was Tim Curry. Tim and Curry was supposed to, and he got bronchitis. <laughs> it's become iconic. There's been repeated uses of Mark Hamill doing this voice. It's legendary. It's the iconic laugh. And the truth is, any voice that has been done that's not Mark Hamill as a Joker has been doing their own spin of what Mark Hamill did. Right. And it just pales in comparison. By the way, do you know the origin of Harley Quinn? Arlene Sorkin was an actress on Days of Her Lives. And they did this weird dream sequence where she was dressed up as a Harlequin. She did the, a similar voice. And they were friends. And he said, hey, I have this character for this one-off sidekick. Do you mind coming in and doing the voice? And that's how Harley Quinn was born. Now look at that. She has her own movie. She has her own TV show. It's pretty amazing stuff. And so with Batman, it's like I always like the emotional complexity of Batman. I really thought Conroy did a really good job in, in showing that. And they did a good job animating that. Like the moments, Robin's reckoning, when you learn a little oh, bit about Robin's backstory. Yeah. And how he has that one-on-one -on -one with him. He's basically like, like, does a pain ever go away? And <laughs> Bruce is like, he didn't even tell him no. He's just kind of like, oh, sorry, he didn't even tell him yes. He's just kind of like, uh, I mean, it gets a little easier. <laughs> Pretty much, you know, it's, it's just something that he was able to tell this kid that like, hey, I know what you're feeling. I'm like one of the few people who knows what you're feeling. And and I can tell you right now that no, it doesn't necessarily get a whole lot easier. Just kind of yeah. always stays with you and really shapes you. As a kid, I always viewed that scene as oh, he has someone who he can relate to. He can help in a way Dick Grayson be better. But though, reading that scene as an adult, I'm like he's the <laughs> cautionary tale which comes up later in the series where he's talking to Tim Drake version of Robin why they had a falling out and Batman's methods and you sort of see glimpses of this throughout the episodes like in the Hardack episode he leaves dinner abruptly hey hang out on my cool mansion while I go take care of business yeah. <laughs> and she's just hanging there and then Alfred is like babysitting his dates how is he still the most eligible bachelor in Gotham you would think gossip about his tendencies. Which is like it's up bad. and leave in the middle of a date. <laughs> People will talk in high society, but as Batman, as a kid, when I view him being dedicated to his work, I thought, oh, he was a good superhero. He puts his job above everything else. Seeing it back as an adult, I realize how sad that is in the sense that Bruce Wayne died that moment in Crime Alley when his parents were murdered in front of him. Him. All that's left is Batman. And it's something that as a kid, I never grasped, and which I think is just so fascinating. In a similar way, have we, like this dual memory of holding these two ideas in the same time. But I don't remember him as such a sad character because it's heartbreaking. He's sacrificing everything so he won't have to deal with the trauma what happened to him as a child. Conroy has said in interviews that he actually realizes early he put this in his performance, realizing that Bruce Wayne is the mask and mm -hmm. Batman is who he became after the death of his parents. And yeah, I think it really shows. This is the fit of Batman because it has a little bit of everything. It has the crime fighting, the Errol Flynn-esque acrobatics of Batman, but it also has the detective Batman, which I feel like for a long time, I have not seen on a live action portrayal. 
And it could be like that episode where they first introduced Rachel Gold, which I find as an adult a little bit problematic now, where he kept calling him the great detective. For me, that always burned in my mind. And even in his role in the Justice League, he's the detective of the group. And they do a really good job of it. Any other main characters that left an impression on you? Alfred. Out of all the folks that have as equal screen time, it's Alfred. He's and in I remember- 70 of the 85 episodes. Yeah. I did look this up. He's the constant companion. And later iterations of this character, probably not my favorite version of Alfred. I think I want to see the Nolan versions, probably my favorite, just because you sort of see him more as a father figure, and especially in the comic books. He is he did raise Bruce Wayne. Yeah, that gets lost in the animated series. Actually. It does. And it yeah. makes me sad because I feel like Alfred is an interesting character where he tries really poorly try to cover for Batman. Like he is the comic relief. I think he's the perfect balance for this animated series in the sense that you have this brooding Bruce Wayne Batman, but then you have someone who sort of lightens it up, which at times I kind of wish they had the same character dynamic he has with Dick Grayson and Robin, which unfortunately is barely in the episodes. I remember as a kid, he was always there. He's really not. (laughs) I forgot how little he and Batgirl, because in my mind, Batgirl was always there too. And that's what's funny about, oh, should I watch production order or should I watch air date order? And I'm like, well, either one, you're not going to see Robin for like huge chunks. (laughs) Right. Because he's at college. (laughs) Yeah. Batgirl gets introduced in probably one of my favorite episodes, but she's not Batgirl yet. And it's way down the line too. Yeah. Like towards the end of the series. Mm -hmm. We see a lot more of her. And I think that's where my memories come from is like oh i was used to seeing her in the new batman adventures <laughs> right <laughs> i think that's where those memories came from but she's a cool character and it's too bad we didn't get to see more of her and same with robin like robin's pretty fun and that's the funny thing about robin is like when he is in the episodes he does not get wasted he's mm. very much helping batman serves a purpose and helps him in ways that batman struggles with like in the episode with the, the riddler, riddler when they're stuck mm-hmm. in the maze that was probably my favorite robin episode i think they're a great partnership in terms of when they're on screen together what Batman is lacking Robin's able to fill in those areas and vice versa later we get into Robin's reckoning where you sort of see the beginnings of that friction but in those earlier episodes you see like this great partnership in a way we watch Robin's reckoning if you're not familiar with the character of the origin which I wasn't at the time you're like they're best friends little did I know that they're bonded in grief let's go ahead and talk about some of the villains to kind of finish up the character portions. We talked a little bit about the Joker. Let's go ahead and talk about him just a little bit more to wrap him up. I love this character. I love his mood swings. I love his sense of humor. I'm waiting for that iteration of the Joker to come in. As someone described him as cheerfully demented. What I love about this iteration is he comes off as unassuming. He kind of disarms you. And when it's too late, he hits you with the menace. As a kid, I thought, he's fun. He's someone that just messes up Batman's day. Just take him back to Arkham. As an adult, I'm like, oh, this is some messed up stuff that I'm being fed (laughs) about the Joker, like the laughing (laughs) fish. Or that his ploy with with the barge, where he was basically gassing all of Gotham so he can go on quote-unquote shopping spree. We get more of how demented, because you can't talk about the Joker without Harley Quinn. So the episode, I think it was called Harley and Ivy, is where we get an idea of 
the dynamic between Harley Quinn and the Joker, where I felt like at this point, they're like, hey, we're maybe idolizing the Joker and Harley Quinn too much. Maybe we should do something about it. And the craziest dynamic where he's like, yeah, the partner's in crime, but he's abusive. He treats Harley really bad, which we learn later on because the last episode of the series is called Mad Love, which is Harley Quinn's origin, where she basically has Stockholm Syndrome. She basically has the symptoms of someone in an abusive relationship and doesn't know how to break the cycle. And once again, just goes back to what I mentioned about finding ways to make you feel sympathy for your villain. Villains. And for them to like go this far with Harley Quinn, I think a lot of it has to do with like, oh, we created this character, so we want to do things with her and, and make her interesting. But mm-hmm. even then, like to take it to this area was really bold and interesting. Which is probably a good lesson because in that episode, you have Poison Ivy saying, wake up, you shouldn't be treated like this. You deserve better. I think it's a good lesson and a good jumping off point of how to treat others. Yeah, Harley Quinn is probably my favorite villain of the bunch, but also the one that breaks my heart a lot too, watching yeah. back these episodes where you're just like, he used to be a psychologist. And the Joker is, was my favorite of the bunch. I really like Two-Face as well. The only ones that didn't really work for me were Penguin and the Mad Hatter. The Riddler, I feel as a kid, I'm like, boo-hoo. As an adult trying to be in the creative space, I'm like, yes, Riddler, I will help you burn down Gotham. Let's take them all down. The enemy in his story was capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we grew up realizing. Capitalism is evil. It's true. (laughs) It's true. of the story. I love that shade for him. Yes, let's do this. Before we go into characters that didn't work for me poison ivy in the beginning she was an ego terrorist but i felt like as the series progressed especially the home and garden episode where she was trying so hard to create a life for herself so she grew her own family and to me that was just so heartbreaking but unfortunately to grow her own family she needed the chemicals and i think at that point even i knew that was sad while wow, you gotta break my heart like that bruce tim <laughs> Oh, you got to do this to me. This is what I love about the show is a lot of these bills like Mr. Freeze. This show create a whole new sympathetic origin for him. Right. Because before then, he was just a mad scientist. Now yeah. he has skin in the game. Like, And a lot of these reinterpretations were brilliant. In the same way, they're just like Batman, except their methods are a little bit misguided. Well, and it gives a series legs, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it makes you want to see them come back. Because you know that, yeah, exactly. You know what their motivations are, why they're doing the things that they're doing. They're not just doing it because they're bad guys, but there is a little bit more to that. So, yeah, it was a really good setup. Like, I really like the Clayface origins as well. Oh, um, Clayface was another good one, too. Such a good two-part episode. And even the um, follow-up with him trying to find a cure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, damn, that's heartbreaking. And you see, like, even Killer Croc, this is a guy who was ostracized by society, and he became the thing that society told him that he is, which is also heartbreaking. Now, 
we should talk about Rachel Ghoul and Talia. Rachel Ghoul was an interesting character. I kind of wish he was a larger threat because we only got him in what three episodes, I think. The two parter, and then it was a follow up one. Talia is the problem that I had because they made Talia this sort of like damsel in distress. Let me tell you, Talia is just as cunning as her father. In the comic books, she created a whole organization to bring down Batman to take back her son with Batman. I kind of wish they did more with Talia. I was surprised to learn when doing a rewatch how little Ray Jagul was in the show. I thought for some reason he had like a much bigger arc, but no, he was barely in it. And Talia Al Ghul, who they presented as being like pretty cool at first, but after that in that two-parter with Ray Jagul, she is basically being pawned off to be married to Bruce Wayne so that Bruce Wayne can carry on for Ray Jagul's legacy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like, oh, I thought there'd be a little bit more lead up, right? But yeah, but that's just not... <laughs> That's that's how they decided. Folks who have mostly been influenced by the Nolan films may be a little disappointed going back at this series and looking at a depiction of these characters. Granted, I have not seen a live action perfect representation of Talia al Ghul just yet because no one's done Talia as good as the comics so far. We've talked about a lot of the things that we really liked about the series. Is there any other high points that you think we may have missed? The only thing I could add, I just want to quickly say is I've already mentioned a lot of my favorite episodes. I like, I like a lot of the two-parters uh-huh. that the series has to offer. A lot of these uh, villain origin stories. Those are my high points all around. It's just like some of the best episodes happen to be where Batman's barely in them. That says a lot about the series when your main character right. is barely in an episode, but you still figure out that, hey, this is actually one of my favorite episodes. So this may be a unpopular opinion, but I love Heart of Steel. It's kind of like an ode to Blade Runner, essentially, because you have this machine who's basically replacing humans with duplicates because under the assumption that because his creator's son died because of someone's human error, that humans need to be improved upon. And the best way to improve upon humans is to replace them with machines. I remember watching it where you were just as a kid, I'm like, okay, who's been replaced? Who can Batman trust? because they replaced the mayor, Commissioner Gordon, Harvey Bullock, which I didn't at the time, like as an adult, I'm like, I know where this is going. But as a kid, you're like, Harvey got replaced somehow. It was just so well done. It was my first real introduction to a, I guess, the genre of a suspense thriller and really sci-fi elements. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool episode. And then, of course, it's follow-up, his Silicon Soul. As we found out, after he was destroyed, he had one more duplicate and it's Batman. He made duplicate of Bruce Wayne Batman. It was such a great payoff. At first, he didn't know he was a robot and he thought like, oh, hard I did something to me. You got to help me. And you see the pain in this machine thinking like, I can't be more than just this machine. When he realizes, oh, I am a machine, I'm going to go ahead and recreate Hardak and continue its goals. As they're fighting, he thinks he kills the real Batman. Hardak made him so perfect that he's beside himself that I killed a human being. This goes to everything against who I think I am and he kills himself. That's probably one of the most mature episodes in the entire series. Or even Batman asked like do you think he had a soul? Exactly. Like, like, damn. <laughs> yeah because it's one of those things where they weren't hiding it. They weren't masking what they were asking their audience to sort mm-hmm. of think. Like I think as a kid I kind of sort of dismissed it but as an adult I'm like damn. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
So what's the one episode that you would show someone to get them interesting? So the one episode I would show someone to get them Uh interested is Christmas with the Joker. I think that's the one. You get the Joker. Absolutely. You get Batman. You get the Joker. We got Batman with Robin trying to find him. Uh You see Commissioner Gordon, Detective Bullock, and Summer Gleason all in danger. You see the Joker break out of Arkham Asylum. It's just a lot of fun. Mine is, it's also a Joker episode because, I mean, if you're going to show someone, you need to have Mark Hamill's voice in this episode it's the laughing fish you see batman as a detective which of course has copyright law if you ignore that but you have harvey bullock you have sort of like the tension between batman and police you have harley quinn in the episode too which is also genius i feel like it's quintessential batman there's a mystery even though you know it's a joker but it's like how do we stop him how is he getting all of these people sick with a laughing toxin i feel like it's a nice little introduction to who Batman is as a detective, as a character, and you have Mark Hamill and you have Harley Quinn. I mean, when you think of this series, you automatically think of those three characters. All right. So how should you watch it? Binge it all or pace yourself? I know for me, I was binging it pretty good. I actually had it on in the background a whole bunch while I was walking around doing things because I really just love the music to this show. Right. Led by Shirley Walker, who composed the opening theme for one. But just like it's just excellent, man. It's really great music to have on in the background. Harley Joker's theme is so iconic. It plays through my head some days. (laughs) If you're able to get the DVD box set, like you get in the production order. Or if you go through the standard streaming service, because the only place you can stream it is HBO Max. And they do it by, I believe, the order it was aired on television. Yes, and they did make one minor change, which was to move part two of The Cat right. and the Claw as the second episode. I, either one works. I will caution you that if you go through the order that's in a box set, you get to see the learning curve of the writers of what worked for them, what doesn't work for them. Because you have the under, like I said, Underdwellers and the Forgotten, we're just like, ooh, what are we doing here? And our first real introduction to the Penguin is I got Batman in my basement, which is a bunch of kids defending Batman from the Penguin, who, if you like Home Alone, you will love this episode. There, I said it. (laughs) Do you need other material to enrich a show's viewing experience? One thing right off the bat, I should say, is... Batman Mask of the Phantasm Mm -hmm. because it helps give you just a little bit more background of Batman and his the impact the death of his parents had on him. I think it's like one of the best representations of that. And it is part of the DC animated universe. It aired while the show was on. On YouTube, you can find the story of Batman, the animated series, The Heart of Batman. Really great documentary. It's about an hour and 30, 40 minutes long. Bruce Timm is in it. A lot of the people we mentioned uh, as the writers and producers, composers, etc. Like a lot of people who worked on the show were interviewed for this documentary and it's very very good it's so interesting because they talk about not only just like the history of the show but a little bit of the history of animation and talking about how even like the art style bruce tim style and it's all just really interesting like fleischer superman gets brought up those 1940s animated episodes they were like 10 minutes long each you can find those on youtube and i recommend checking those out because they're just really cool animation for 1940s and how that had an influence 
influence on this series and on Bruce Timm's art style. Talks a little bit about how in the 80s, animation was like really not a good time because of the restrictions. And Romeo, like you mentioned, talking about, wow, these characters have guns and they're shooting at people and they're punching each other. Yeah, that stuff was not allowed in the 80s. <laughs> no, it wasn't. So just to give folks sort of an idea where this all came from and how there was a drastic difference between this show and the previous iteration of Batman and Robin, which was Batman the live action in the 70s. It was all done during what it was the comic book authority code, which all spun on this stupid book by a psychologist, which was called The Seduction of Innocence, that said comic books were essentially poisoning the mind of children and it led to criminal behavior because you had characters like Batman and Robin who were circumventing actual police force. That's how we got shark repellent and the groovy dance. There is a comic adaptation and novelization of Batman the Animated Series. There is the Batman Adventures and Batman the Adventures Continue. There's also, let's see, short-lived series of tie-in novels adapted Mm -hmm. from episodes of the series by Gary Gravel. To achieve novel length, Gravel combines several related episodes into a single storyline in each novel. So there's uh, Shadows of the Past, Duel to the Death, The Dragon and the Bats, Mask of the Phantasm. All those books are all like tie-in from episodes of the series. So would you want a reboot or a continuation series? Was there any unresolved plot lines you would like to see covered? Now we know what's coming. So we know that a continuation of the series is in development in the form of an audio podcast drama with the cast returning along with writer Alan Burnett. Romeo, with that in mind, what do you think? Is that something you want? Is that something you're interested in? Yeah, I mean, there's also an animated series, too. We know the new Batman Adventures exist. That is something that people can watch. There's 20 episodes, uh-huh. I believe, 21 episodes. You get more Nightwing, you get more Batgirl, you get more Robin. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's great. It's great in that way. But I will say, proceed with caution because the animation style is a little more updated. The character designs are a little bit different. Right. Most notably, the Joker. So it's a continuation, but it also feels like it's a little bit different. Har- show. Harley Quinn was radically changed, her backstory. She mm-hmm. was kind of like a, a talk show host. It was weird. So going back to the animated series, like because it's going to be an audio book, like an an audio series. I'm down for because it's going to be the original voice actors. So I'm down. What makes me so excited about it is the thought of possibly being in the mind of Bruce Wayne and Mm -hmm. Batman as he's like trying to piece together clues. And I think that could be really interesting. It works really well in an audio podcast format. So that part makes me excited. I really hope they go that route and not just have some overall narrator kind of guiding us through. I want to be in the mind of Batman. I think that's the direction they should go. So I'm excited to see what they do with that. So we're just going to move on now to making suggestions for similar shows or franchises that viewers might also enjoy. We already mentioned the new adventures of Batman. We talked about Batman Beyond a little bit, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero, both films that are tie-ins to this series. Mm -hmm. Superman the Animated Series, which is the show that was worked on directly after this team worked on Batman. It's certainly different in a way because it's like the more hopeful, lighter tone in comparison to Batman, but Batman does make an appearance in some episodes, and honestly, it's a pretty good show, man. That's still one of the better Superman takes, in my opinion, is Superman the Animated Series. So that's 
that's why I think it's a pretty good recommendation. So in terms of like TV shows and movies, so we'll start, we talked about before, The Batman came a couple years after the animated series, which is a more modern take. We have a different origin story for Clayface, which takes place throughout the entire first season, premiering on the WB. Sometimes the modernization works great, sometimes it doesn't, but I think it's still a worthy successor. I mean, towards the end, they were kind of building towards their own cinematic sort of thing with the Justice League, because you get a lot of characters guest starring in the Batman. Titans, it focuses on Robin sort of breaking off from Batman, and that's really the only real reason I sort of recommend this, because they sort of touched it on the animated series. Here we get a full exploration. This past season, we only got the introduction of Batgirl, the Riddler, and we saw Jason Todd becoming Red Hood. Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn is an animated series that is just absolutely insane. Harley Quinn, yeah, it's a lot of fun. If you really enjoyed the Harley and Ivy episode, this one I think will definitely make you happy. It's really funny, it's really violent, and it has a lot of fun with Batman's rogues gallery. And you see characters, you see villains that you never got a chance to see in Batman the Animated Series, and they're all done in either like a totally ridiculous or a totally satisfying and fun way. I 100% recommend Harley Quinn, not just because of Batman the Animated Series, but just overall, it's just such a really, really good show. Like that's the only other one that I've watched outside of the DC animated universe is Harley Quinn. These other things, they haven't really interested me that much. I'm not saying that they're bad or anything. They just, they didn't pull me in like Harley Quinn did. My next one is the animated adaptation of Batman The Long Halloween Parts 1 and 2. Probably one of my favorite comic book storylines of Batman of all time. If you like that detective Batman and him sort of fighting a robust lineup of his rogues gallery, you won't be disappointed. It also features a more comic accurate depiction of how how Harvey Dent becomes Two-Face. And it's just a good mystery. We can't talk Batman, the anime series, without Batman Returns. That film and this television series go hand in hand. Another quick cartoon, Gargoyles. In terms of the film noir's type of elements and it was smart. Like That was my first introduction to Shakespeare. Like, yeah, legit. mine too. <laughs> like, legit. And of course, Arthurian legend and then they went on this whole little um, world tour and I learned about different cultures and their views on Gargoyles. I'm like, oh, that's smart. It's a really neat show. One day we might cover it. I don't know. Maybe one um, day. We did it. We talked about Batman the Animated Series. It's a really good cartoon. I mean, really more can you say? We'll talk more about it maybe in our final thoughts. This was good. It's good to be back. Yeah, all I can say from here is that listeners, stay tuned for our final thoughts in Mailbag. Welcome back. And it's glad to be back for Binge Essentials podcast and leading things off with Batman the Animated Series, where it's just the two of us reminding ourselves how much better animated shows were in the 90s. I'm just kidding. but (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. It's just a reminder that as early as the 1990s, there was something that could be so groundbreaking and still have something so influential because you still see bits and pieces in animation 
that were influenced by Batman the Animated Series. So it was just fun to talk about not only the history of how this show was influential, but how this show was created to be so groundbreaking in terms of what the history of animation, what the state of it was at from the 1980s. Going into a little bit of that history was really cool. And then mentioning things that people probably never heard of, like Fleischer's Superman, which I think is really important Mm -hmm. if someone wants to watch something they've never seen before and like superhero stuff. Fleischer's Superman is like the coolest historical piece of animation I've seen in a long time. Just 1940s Superman. It looks so cool and how it influenced this series. Yeah, there's just a lot of little tidbits in this episode that I really enjoyed exploring. We talked about this earlier, too, about how it was just groundbreaking in terms of sense of how much violence and the fact that you can use guns, because at that time period, most other cartoons weren't allowed to. And of course, we talked about the comic book Authority Code, which stemmed from this German-born American psychiatrist, Frederick Wartham, who wrote this book called The Seduction of Innocence. He basically made this flimsy correlation between criminal deviance and comic books. And some of those arguments are actually still used today in terms of like movies and video games. Complete joke. It holds no weight and never has. It's just hilarious that so people I will still s- try to use that argument. Though so I will say the only thing he was right about is the Wonder Woman bondage subtext. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the only thing he was right about. Time to run through some of the things that we may have missed. And Batgirl was one of it. We weren't quite sure. I know for sure we didn't say the title of the episode of Batgirl's first appearance. It was Shadow of the Bat. It was a two-part episode. Really not much else to say other than it came a lot later in the series than I remembered it. Romeo also mentioned the Robin. Actually, me and Romeo talked about how the Robin Riddler episode is one of our favorites. Because I was talking about how Robin never wasted and he really shines probably his finest in the Riddler episode which is titled if you're so smart why aren't you rich if anyone wants to choose a Robin episode I think that's the one unless you want to give Robin's reckoning a shot I don't know Romeo where do you lie on that if, if you recommend a Robin episode this one is this, this one. one okay now how many episodes had Ray Jagul Romeo thought it might have been around three but it actually turns out to be five so it's not really a huge error here it's just something to point out it still goes back to the point that we were talking about in the episode where we were just surprised how little we saw of Ray Jagul. It just felt like he had a bigger presence in the series, but it mm-hmm. turns out only five episodes out of when you think about how many of the other villains had episodes in the teens and in the 20s, you know, it's just he only had five. And it could be the fact that maybe we've been Mandela affected, but the fact that Ray Jagul's pretty much been prominent in the Nolan films and in recent live action adaptations that we somehow thing like, oh, Rachel Ghoul is like this important figure of all time. But now he's starting to get more prominence in media because of Nolan. Because for the most part, he was a lesser known character that Nolan could have like molded and used in unique ways that unless you're a hardcore comic book fan, you wouldn't expect some twists. And that's it for that. So now we can move on to letting you guys know about where to reach us before we give you some updates about the show. If you have 
have any questions or comments about the show, you can always contact us on BingeEssentials at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Binge Essentials and on Instagram at Binge Essentials. Reach out to us there if you'd like. We will gladly listen to your input, any comments, suggestions you have about the show or any serious questions you have. Yeah, we'll definitely circle back to it and give you a shout out here in our final thoughts. If you ever want to reach me, you can find me at David Rocha Binge on Instagram. You can find Romeo at rmoro 2 Twitter, it's at David Rocha Radio. And for Romeo, it's rmoro one Time to update about the show. Historically, we like to release our episodes on a weekly basis when we do get time to record and edit. And our release schedule typically did go every Thursday for however many weeks in a row that we happen to have episodes ready for you. And then we go into our little break. Now, this year, because of the circumstances of my personal life, that being a newborn baby, that being back at work on site full time, back to Romeo being back at work every single day of the work week, it has strained the opportunity to have episodes prepared weekly. So what we've decided to do instead is to release one episode on the first Thursday of every month so that at least you guys are still getting something from us throughout the year. We hope this is something that you guys enjoy. I know it kind of sucks to wait a whole month for each episode, but we just don't want to release a few episodes and then disappear on you guys for a few months. And with that being said, it is time to tease next month's episode. Next month's episode is the Harry Potter films. And joining us to do Harry Potter is Rena. If you haven't listened to Rena's episodes with us in the past, you may want to give them a shot. They were Shit's Creek and The Guild, and both of them were a lot of fun to do with her. She's a very fun, exciting, uh, insightful person when it comes to having on to the show. So we're very happy to have her back with Harry Potter. Romeo, do you have anything else to add? I'm really excited to have Rena back on. I think it's going to be a fun time discussing all things Harry Potter. I'm not the biggest of Potter fans, so. So it'll be interesting to sort of balance out my uh, blind spot to that world. Mine too. All right. So with everything that's been said, want to thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you guys next month.